How's everyone doing this morning? Good, 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 good. Good to see you guys. So um, we've been in a very, very interesting book of the Bible. I know I keep saying this every week, but the, the more I get into this, uh, the more I've truly enjoyed it. And uh, it's been a very, very interesting book of the Bible. If you haven't been here, we're in the book of the Bible called Ecclesiastes. It's in the Old Testament. It's right after the book of Proverbs. It was written by a guy named Solomon. And if you haven't been here, let me tell you what makes this book a little bit unique and what makes Solomon is a contributor to the Bible a little bit unique. Solomon wrote three really important books of the Bible, okay? He wrote as a young man a book called Song of Solomon, which is uh, what makes the Bible R-rated if they were to make it into a movie, right? As a middle-aged man in his late 30s, early 40s, he wrote a book of the Bible called Proverbs, um, which is one of those books of the Bible that, that I would say most people are pretty familiar with. Um, a lot of people go back and they start to read a proverb every day of the month and things like that. Very, very popular book. And then at the end of his life, he wrote a book called Ecclesiastes. And what makes Ecclesiastes so fascinating is this book of the Bible is basically a confession of a man who had accomplished everything in his time. All the money, all the power, all the sex, everything. This guy had everything in his disposal. And at the end of his life, and he died relatively young, he died when he was 60, and um, at the end of his life, he looked back and he said, I did it wrong. All this stuff that I thought would bring me joy and happiness and contentment, it failed me is what he says. That's basically what the whole book of Ecclesiastes is about. Now, if you haven't been here, the first chapter kind of asks the question, what's the point, right? What's the point, what's the point of living? What's the meaning of life? Is there anything beyond us, bigger than us? It asks the big question. Chapter two answers that question. So we find out that the meaning of this life is to have a relationship with God. So if you weren't here last week, we asked ourselves the question, do we have a relationship with God? And a lot of us would say, yes, yes, of course I have a relationship with God, I'm a Christian. But when we look at what a relationship actually looks like, that we're committed, that we communicate, that we will compromise what we want for what God wants, maybe some of us last week stepped back and go, maybe I don't have a relationship with God. And that's okay, we can jump in and we can build a relationship with God. This week, we're gonna talk about something, and guys, I'm just gonna preface it today. If I get a little uh, like sassy this morning, uh, it's not you, it's me. Um, I struggle with, with a lot of the things we're gonna talk about today. They're things that, that I have to constantly be aware of and diligent about, and what we're gonna talk about today is we're gonna ask the question, are we present? Are we alert? Are we awake? Are we looking around us? Are we distracted, right? We live in an extremely distracted and busy culture. Amen. And because of that, we miss a lot of things that God is doing around us. So guys, this is something I struggle with. So halfway through the sermon, if you're like, man, you lean over to your husband, Corey's really being a jerk today. It's true, right? It's me. It's not you. You're good. I'm not. So it, it's just, just keep that in your head as I rant and rave a little bit today that it's funny, whenever people come up to me and they say, man, you wrote that sermon for me, and I'm like, no, I wrote it for me. Uh, I struggle with some of the things, and so I talk about things that I struggle with, you know, and we're all humans, though, and we tend to struggle with a lot of the same things. I'll tell you another secret. <laughs> some person came up to me last night, and they said, I could swear you were looking right at me, and I was like, nope, I don't make eye contact with any of you. I do my best to not look at any of you in the face. So uh, if you ever think I'm like staring at you, I'm not. Staring at that center next to you. That's who I'm looking at. So. No, no, I'm just joking. No, no. Uh, it's not true. 
Um, <laughs> I also threw in a little Easter egg for you, you older cats in the room, a famous song from Ecclesiastes chapter three by a band called The Birds. So there it is. That's it. All right. When you walked in, you should have received a notes handout. It has everything I'm going to say in it. Everything will be on the screens. If you have a smartphone, um, if you have a smartphone, go to the Experience Community app, click on service times, sermon notes. If you have a Bible, we're in the Old Testament, right after the book of Proverbs. We're in chapter three, and uh, we'll get through it relatively quick, okay? So let me pray, and we'll hang out a little bit at the end and, and uh, kind of take an evaluation. Lord, I love you. I thank you so much, God. Thank you for this church, Lord. I thank you, God, for, for your word. I pray, God, that as we together uh, in this service this morning break open your word, that I pray that it sharpens us, that it speaks to us, that it encourages us and also humbles us, God, if we need that. Lord, I pray that you just bless this church. Pray, God, that you don't just bless this church. I pray that you bless every church, Lord, in our community, in our city, in our county. Pray, God, that you bless all the churches we work with up in New England, the ones we work with all around the world. And um, Father, we pray that everything we do today, that it honors you, and that it brings all the attention and glory to you and not us, God. Lord, we love you, and we thank you. Be with me as I teach. Pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay. Ecclesiastes chapter three. Here we go. I'm not going to sing it. I'm just going to read it. Aw. There is an occasion for everything and a time for every activity under heaven, a time to give birth and a time to die, a time to plant, and a time to uproot, a time to kill, and a time to heal, a time to tear down, and a time to build, a time to weep, and to laugh, a time to mourn, and to dance, a time to throw stones, and a time to gather stones, a time to embrace, and a time to avoid embracing, a time to search, and a time to count as lost, a time to keep and a time to throw away, a time to tear and a time to sow, a time to be silent and a time to speak, a time to love, a time to hate, a time for war and a time for peace. Now, these are our verses, and I say this a lot in this church. If we take the Bible out of context, we can make the Bible say a lot of things that it's not saying. So if you were to get into these first eight verses of Ecclesiastes and you say, well, the Bible says there's a time to kill, guess I'm gonna go kill somebody, right? The Bible says so. There's a time for war, let's go start a war, right? Let's go do that. It's not what that means. Verse one through eight, verses one through eight must be read knowing the fundamental objective of the book of Ecclesiastes. And this is essentially it. We are mere mortals, we're all gonna die, and all the stuff that we accumulate in this life is gonna die with us. And there is no meaning in this life apart from God. Amen. We must also remember this, even if we have God, and I, I hope the majority of you in this room do have a relationship with God, even if we have God, there's still going to be bad times in this life because life goes through seasons and not all of those seasons are easy. And that's just part of life. We're gonna talk about that a lot today. We also see in these first eight verses balance. I love the wisdom and balance in these eight verses. We find that we, we have to put balance in our lives and balance how we use our time. Now, here's the thing about time and balance. There is, this is very important, there is always enough time to do God's will, but there may not always be enough time for us to do what we wanna do. That's the truth of it. 
What that means is prioritization of your time matters. We have to be diligent to make sure that we take care of the most important things first, and then we get to everything else. Some of you in your life, you may literally, I've done this, you may literally need to write down all the things that you have to do in your day or in your week or in your month or just in your life in general, and some of the things at the bottom may need to go because they're the least important and you're not doing the most important things because the least important things are taking up too much of your time. Here's the thing though about being very diligent about our time. When we do that, we actually create more time to do fun stuff for ourselves. But we have to take care of the first things first. Relationship with God, our marriages, our time with our children, our work, things like that have to be first. And then we can create some space somewhere down the line for ourselves. So Solomon says there's a time to give birth, time to die, a time to plant, a time to uproot. This simply reminds us that, that, that all of us are born and that all of us are going to die and in the middle of all of that, God is completely in control. He also says that there's a time to kill and a time to heal. What he means is that sometimes justice has to be extreme. Sometimes we actually have to use violent means to bring peace. I know that's very uncomfortable, and we'll get to that a little bit later on in this part. He also says that there's a time, a proper time to weep, to laugh, to mourn, and to celebrate. Now, this is a very important slide to me because I think it's something that we don't do very well. It shows us that emotions are not to be ignored, but they're to be dealt with by the power of the Holy Spirit and by the wisdom of the Word of God. So listen, just because there are times in your life when you're sad does not mean that there's something wrong with you all the time. I had a young man in my office a couple of years ago, a good young man, came in my office. His mother had passed away at an early age. I'm talking about her, her late 40s, passed away, and he was just having extreme grief. So he went to go get help. He went to a psychiatrist, and the psychiatrist didn't talk with him or pray with him or give him any tools to work with. Here, just take these drugs, right? Suppress that sadness. Listen, save your hate mail. I, I believe in doctors. I believe in medication. Just save your time and mine because I just won't read it. But here's the thing. Whenever we, we, we claim to be Christians, we have to know that there are, there are all kinds of emotions. God gave us those emotions, and we're not supposed to necessarily suppress all those. We're supposed to work through those things. For that young man that had overwhelming sadness, I looked at him and I said, you should have overwhelming sadness. Your mom just died. And it's gonna take time. You don't need to bury that feeling. You need to find some good Christian brothers and sisters to help you walk through those feelings. The Holy Spirit of God helps us to be emotionally stable. Now listen, I'm not gonna go through all these. And guys, here's where you guys are gonna want to send me those, those really mean emails. Listen, before we go to anything else, I encourage you go to God first. Give God a crack at helping you. Just give him a shot. Go to the word of God. If you're in fear, if, you're in, in, if you have anger issues, sadness, depression, confusion, this is not all the scripture. It's just a, a fraction of the scripture. Go to the word of God. Go to prayer, right? God didn't give us a spirit of fear, but a spirit of power. And so the Bible tells us that if we will go to him, he will help us. I'm not against counselors. I employ two counselors. I'm not against doctors. My sister-in-law is a doctor. I'm not saying those things are wrong, but God needs to be in the mix if we're gonna be complete. Amen. Just throwing it out there. Amen. 
There's also, he says, a time to gather stones and a time to throw stones. I found this passage uh, funny because my brain wanders sometimes. In the Old Testament, there would be times when the Israelites would gather rocks, throw them in enemy territory's crops in order to make the fields unproductive or, or unusable. I think of like if you don't like your neighbor and you're like throwing rocks in their yard, like waiting for them to mow the yard next time. There was rocks in the yard. That's what my brain went to, I guess, because I'm evil. But anyways, <laughs> sometimes they would throw rocks and be unproductive. And other times they would gather rocks and they would make roads. Other times in the Bible, they would make stone memorials, like when they crossed the Jordan or when there was kind of this landmark in the walk of the Jewish people, they would build memorials. Other times in the Bible, they would tear those memorials down. What does that mean to us? What it means is sometimes we need to be cutting people off. Sometimes we need to be moving away from toxic relationships and other times we need to make amends. There are times that we need to remember the past, listen, and there are some of us that need to let the past go. Amen. Sometimes we build roads, Sometimes we tear roads down, it happens. There's a time to embrace and a time to refrain. The Bible even tells us that God does this. God embraces the humble and it says that he pushes away from the proud and from the arrogant. If we are Christians, we are to also do this, but we have to ask for God's wisdom to know what to hold on to, what is good, and to know what to push away from, what is evil. Now, this is becoming increasingly difficult because the word Christian is thrown around extremely haphazardly. There's a lot of people who claim to be Christians, that, but they don't believe that Jesus is the only pathway to heaven. They believe that as long as you're a good person, you go to heaven. And that's not what Jesus says. Jesus says, I'm the way, the truth, and the life, and no one gets to the Father except through me. Jesus was very direct. But we have a lot of people who claim to be Christians, but they're really universalists. We also have a lot of people who claim to be Christians, but they think that you can pick and choose on what scriptures that we follow in the Bible. And the Bible is not up for your own personal interpretation or debate. It is God's word and it's solid and it doesn't move. So it's very confusing right now to know what to hold on to and what to push away from. There's also a time to tear and a time to sow. So in biblical times, if someone was going through great grief, they would grab their clothes and they would rip their clothes. And then once that situation had been resolved, they would sew it back up. And people could see that once upon a time there was an issue that tore you apart, but it has been healed, it has been mended over time. So here's the thing, guys. As Christians, you're gonna get hurt. You might get hurt by other Christians. Why? Because we're all imperfect. But we cannot let hurt and we cannot let bitterness catch hold of us and make us hard. And it is only by the grace of God and by the power of God that we can remain loving and soft and gentle because people will absolutely tear you apart. But we have to lean on God. Here's one that we really mess up in our culture. Solomon says there's a time to be silent and there is a time to speak. The Bible says that only God can tame your tongue. So whenever I hear Christians say, well, I was just born in the South, that's why I cuss at people and yell and flip people off on 24, it's just the way God made me. No, 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 that's not what God intends. That's not what God wants out of you. In fact, the Bible says in Proverbs that we need to work on not speaking so much, right? That sometimes we just need to be quiet. We need to pray that God controls our tongue. Gossip is a sin. Cursing at people is a sin. Lying is a sin. And the only thing that can control that tongue is the Holy Spirit. That's what the Bible says. 
We also need to be careful not to talk too much. If your coworker comes up and they just wanna like talk to you about problems at their house, don't cut them off and be like, hey, hey, just do this, 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 and this. All right, I got stuff to do, right? That, that we need to sometimes not just try to fix it and talk at people, sometimes we just need to be quiet and listen to people. On the flip side of that, sometimes it's a sin when we don't speak. It's a sin of omission. So when there is heresy in the church, I love it when I speak out against heresy and someone sends me a message and how dare you judge other Christians. I dare because the word of God gives us the barometer to judge. Because the word of God tells us what's right and wrong. And if so-called Christians are teaching something contradictory to this, it is my job and it's your job to say, that's not okay. We have to speak up when there's heresy in the church because heresy will damn people to hell. We must also speak up against injustice. If there is racism, if there is hatred or sexism or whatever the case may be, that's why a, a pastor in the 1950s, early 60s stood up, right? Martin Luther King, he was killed for it because he saw an injustice and a man of God stepped up and said, that's not okay. We're gonna, we're gonna, we're gonna fight against that, that we have to speak up. We also have to speak up about the gospel. Well, Corey, I don't want to beat people over the head. Listen, I'm not asking you to get a KJV Bible and, and just beat someone half to death. That's not what I'm, I'm telling you to do, right? They're not going to understand it anyways, right? So, um, but the Bible says that the only way people are saved is by hearing, and hearing comes by speaking. You have to speak the word of God to people and the gospel, and if we don't, people are never going to receive the gospel. He says there's a time for love hate, war, and peace. Now, this is an uncomfortable one, right? We know, of course, there's a time for love. Christians should always love. What do you mean there's a time to hate? The Bible says that God hates evil. It's not that he hates evil people, and we shouldn't hate evil people, but we should hate evil. We should hate sin. And the hatred of evil will sometimes lead us to war. Well, what do you mean, Corey? Well, when a German dictator kills six million Jews, there's a time for war. There's a time for good nations to step up against bad nations and do something about it. Now, I know that's uncomfortable. I know the topic of war and hate and all those things are uncomfortable, but these are realities in a world that has evil influence. It's something we can't escape until Christ comes back, all right? Next part. What does the worker gain from his struggles? I have seen the task that God has given the children of Adam to keep them occupied. He has made everything appropriate in its time. He has also put eternity in their hearts, but no one can discover the work God has done from beginning to end. I know that there is nothing better for them than to rejoice and enjoy the good life. It is also the gift of God whenever anyone eats, drinks, and enjoys their efforts. I know that everything God does will last forever. There's no adding to it or taking away from it. God works so that people will be in awe of him. Whatever is, has already been, and whatever will be, already is. However, God seeks justice for the persecuted. I love this line. It says that God has put eternity in our hearts. What that means is this. I would say probably 99% of all people you meet would love to know the answer of where did we come from? 
Why are we here? What is the meaning of this life? What is the purpose of humanity? Christians should want that desire. We should want to not only know that there is a God, but we should want to know more about God. So it's normal for you to have a deep longing to understand what is the plan of God? How does God work? The interesting thing though is we will never understand how God works, ever, right? We are incapable. Even in heaven, we're not going to fully comprehend God. That's why eternity is never going to get boring. If you go back to Revelation chapter four, I brought this up last week. The angels that are flying around God, they've been flying around him for a long time. They say, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. The word holy can be translated to incomprehensible. So these angels who have been flying around God for only God knows how long, they still look at God and they're like, wow, I just saw another piece of him that I never saw before. He is incomprehensible. That's what's going to make heaven so amazing is every single time we look at God, we're gonna see another facet of him that we never saw before. That should humble us. That should intrigue us, and we should never claim that we know everything about God. We should never do that. We know as much as the word tells us, but we're gonna be figuring out God forever and ever and ever, and that's a good thing. So how do we keep from being disillusioned by that, right? Those of us who are fixers, those of us who like to have all the answers, how do we not go crazy until we get to heaven, right? Here's how we don't go crazy. Solomon said, here's what we do until Jesus comes back. We need to give thanks, we need to do good things, and we need to enjoy life. We need to give thanks, do good things, enjoy the fruits of our labor. This is very important. Listen, for all of us who struggle with this, the best way to not be sad about the things you don't have is to thank God for all the things that you do have. And in the United States, we struggle with it, right? It's something that we struggle with real bad. We're constantly thinking about what we do not have and God has given us so much and we take it for granted. We take it for granted. Another thing is that God cares about the small things. We're gonna talk about this a lot at the end of this lesson. We often think that God is only concerned with our souls, right? Which he is, first and foremost, right? And we forget that God cares about the day-to-day. -day. We only think God's looking at us when we do something awful or when we do something really, really great or you know, if we're quoting scripture or singing in church, but he cares about all the small things. How do we know that? In the Bible, we see in Genesis that he walked around with Adam and Eve during the cool of the day, right? I love that. They're walking around and Adam's probably like, what's up with platypuses, right? You know, like he would talk to God as they would walk around. I don't know if those existed at that time, but you know. He would walk around with God and they would talk. They would shoot the breeze. That's why God created humanity. Friendship, companionship. He didn't need it, but he wanted it, right? I love seeing the relationship between Moses and God. If you go back into the book of Exodus, Moses would go up on Mount Sinai and he would go up and Moses is like, God, would you please obliterate all these people? And God's like, chill out, Moses. Other times he'd go back up the mountain and God's like, I'm gonna obliterate them. And Moses is like, don't do it, God. They had this really fascinating relationship, but they loved each other and it was deep. I love that after the resurrection, Jesus comes back and he gives Peter the opportunity to repent for the three times that he denied him. But look at where they are. They're on the beach eating fish. So Peter is sitting on the beach, grilling up some fish with the savior of the world, and they're talking because they love each other. 
and because they're friends, we often think that God only cares about certain parts of our life. He cares about every part of our life. He cares about your kid's baseball game. He cares about how work was today. He cares about everything that you care about. And he loves us and he wants to spend time with us. God's work though is big and it lacks absolutely nothing. Verse 14 shows us just how far Solomon has come in these first three chapters. He says that I know everything God does will last forever and everything God does makes us in awe of him. Listen, we're gonna talk about this more at the end of the lesson. We need to stop sometimes and just look at creation and we need to understand just how big God is. In light of God's power, we should fear God. Now, when I say fear God, I don't mean like you're walking around looking to get zapped by lightning every time you, you know, say a swear word. Oh no, here it comes. Like, that's not the fear of the Lord that I'm talking about. I'm talking about a healthy respect of who God is that he, he, he spoke the universe into existence. According to Revelation, he's gonna speak it out of existence and create a new heaven and a new earth. And he is all, all powerful and all knowing. And that should have us have a healthy respect and awe of who he is. And God knows that we need to fear and respect him because listen, all of us in this room will worship something. All of us. You'll worship money, you'll worship sex, you'll worship sports, you'll worship your spouse, you'll worship something in this life. And God knows that if we fear anything more than what we fear God, it's gonna let us down. If our hope is in a politician, if our hope is in an economic system, if our hope is in a nation, if our hope is in a celebrity, God knows all those things will eventually fail us. So we have to fear God first. We have to respect and love and revere him first. He's the only one that has the power to save. So at the end of this section, in verse 15, we get kind of this sense of the, the age-old Christian argument, the thing that people love to fight about, do we have free will or are we predestined? So here's the thing. God is so powerful and he is so wise, he's outside of time, right? He's outside of it. He's beyond it. God gives us the ability to make choices within this time frame that we have. They're authentic, genuine, we get to make a choice. But because he foreknows everything, he has predestined everything, he knows the choices we're gonna make, he knows where we're gonna end up, he's beyond that, nothing shocks him. So are we predestined or do we have free will? Yes, the Bible teaches both. Well, I don't like that answer, Corey. Sorry, I didn't write the Bible, but it teaches both. The better question isn't, do we have free will or are we predestined? The better question is, are you living for Jesus? And if you are, it doesn't matter, right? I was talking to another pastor this week uh, and we were talking about this whole predestination versus free will and he gave me the best analogy. He said these people who argue over predestination and free will, Calvinism and Arminianism, he says it's like there's a pool of a bunch of drowning people and two people are standing at the edge of the pool going, what do you think the circumference of this pool is, right? How big do you think this pool is? Everyone's drowning, mind you, and the other person says, well, I think it's 18 by 24. And the other guy goes, no, 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 no. It is 24 by 18. And they're arguing about how big the pool is and the whole time people are drowning. Listen, free will, predestination, waste your time. Just tell people about Jesus Christ. Tell them to have a relationship with Jesus and Jesus will do the work in their hearts. And if they have a relationship with him, they're saved, okay? All right, fun stuff. Last part, all you Calvinists are like, nope. <laughs> Going to a Presbyterian church next week. <laughs> I, 
I also, <laughs> I also observed everything under the sun. There is wickedness at the place of judgment and there is wickedness at the place of righteousness. I said to myself, God will judge the righteous and the wicked since there is a time for every activity and every work. I said to myself, this happens so that God may test the children of Adam and they may see for themselves that they are just like animals. For the fate of the children of Adam and the fate of animals is the same. As one dies, so dies the other, and they all have the same breath. People have no advantage over animals since everything is futile. All are going to, do this, all are going to the same place. All come from dust, all return to dust. Who knows if the spirits of the children of Adam go upward and the spirits of animals go downward to the earth. I have seen that there is nothing better than for a person to enjoy his activities because that is his reward. For who can enable him to see what will happen after he dies? So life will always have evil elements. I love what Solomon says. He says there is wickedness in righteous places. He's basically saying that there are places where it should be good, government, the marketplace, law, they should be righteous, they should be holy, but oftentimes they are not. And when peoples and nations stop looking to God for direction, evil creeps in and society goes nuts. Now listen, this is probably where, you, you know, if anyone's gonna get offended today, this will probably be where it is. This does not condone a theocracy. A theocracy is a form of government that makes the people worship a certain way. And I think a lot of Christians in the United States say we need a theocracy. We should be. We often say one nation under God. Now, listen, we can say that and we can kind of have this, this false sense of security that we're a Christian nation, but we're not. We're not. And a theocracy has never worked. And a theocracy, quite frankly, is not what God wants. How dare you, Corey? Well, Pontius Pilate was standing in front of Jesus Christ one time, and Pontius Pilate looked at Jesus and said, where is your kingdom? Jesus didn't say the United States. Jesus said, my kingdom is beyond this world. Amen. It's something bigger than anything that can ever take place in this world. So we need to remember our salvation is not one nation under God. Our salvation is God's kingdom. It's God himself. And here's the other thing that people are not gonna like. It is not the church's job to write laws and legislate morality. It doesn't work. In fact, did you know up until just a couple of years ago, it was against the law in the state of Tennessee for two men to have sex with each other. Do you think that stopped it? Do you think that stopped that act from taking place? Of course it didn't. What the church's job is, is to introduce people to Jesus Christ. The church's job is to let Jesus touch their hearts. And if we would put Jesus in his kingdom first, all other things would start to change. But we think we can just pass a lot of laws and people will be righteous, and it's not the case. God gave very direct laws to the Jewish people, and right before he handed them those laws, what were they doing? They were worshiping a golden calf. Just the written law itself does not change the hearts of mankind. We must touch the hearts of mankind. We must introduce them to Jesus Christ. Okay? Right. And without God, Solomon says we're animals. Now here's where you can take the Bible way out of context. When he starts talking about how we're no better than animals, if you just pulled that scripture out, you take it way out of context. What he means is this. He means that without our relationship with God, we are no better than animals. Without God in our lives, we act like animals. Guys, look at our culture. 
Look at sexuality in our culture, right? We have gone completely ridiculous. Trust your instincts, do what you wanna do, don't deny your animal instincts that you have, and we do act like animals. And so here's what we do in our society now. We live in a society that likes to humanize animals and animalize humans. We live in a society, and listen, like, man, I have a dog that like, she's one of my best friends, I love her to death, six pound multi-poo, she's my buddy, right, Charlotte, best friends. Anyways, I love animals, but whenever we have gotten to a place to where we have more laws and restrictions to, to protect baby dogs than we do baby humans, something is wrong with us. We have animalized humans and humanized animals and we're not the same thing. We're not the same thing. We're the only thing made in God's image. We're the only thing with the breath of God, the Holy Spirit, and the spirit that is eternal lives with him. We're the only creature that has that, okay? And we also need to recognize that we're meant for something more. If you were to just read verses 18 through 22, they're kind of depressing. It looks like Solomon has, has rejected the idea that we have eternal life. But the real point that he's trying to make is, there is no hope. It's the same thing we've been talking about for weeks. There is no hope if God is not in our life. Amen. So we're constantly searching for meaning. I'm talking, I'd say the majority of us in this room, the majority of humanity, we're searching for purpose. We're searching for meaning. And the reason why we keep searching is we forget, or maybe we never knew, that God has created us to share in his kingdom. Listen, when we get to heaven, it's not gonna be God with a whip making us like build stuff and do, no, 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 we are, we are heirs to heaven. We're going to share that space with him. Doesn't mean we're equal with God, but God wants to walk again with his creation like he did with Adam and Eve. He wants to share space with us. He wants to talk and hang out and be with us forever. And we forget that. And when we forget that, we lose hope. We truly are hopeless. We forget meaning, we forget purpose, we forget value. So here's the thing, guys. The hope of the Christian, if you're in here and you're not a Christian, this is a good piece of information on, on, on what Christians are looking forward to. If you're a Christian in here, our hope is not in this world, our hope is in eternity. In an eternity with a perfect God, we will be perfect, everyone around us will be perfect. We should all be longing for that eternity. But here's the thing, this is important. Our longing for that eternity should change how we live in this life. It should change the temporary. Why? Because if we're a Christian, we have a piece of eternity in us. We have the Holy Spirit of God in us that lives forever and ever and ever. So though this shell, this body is temporary, I have a permanent soul and I have the permanent spirit of God with me. And that should change how I live. It should change how I think. It should change how I act. It should change everything about me. What does it mean? It means that we often forget, listen, that God is with us all the time. He's with us when we do bad things. He's with us when bad things happen to us. He's with us in good things. Beyond that, he's with us in our marriage. I was talking to a, a, a man last week and he was telling me when he first got saved and, and he was super on fire, he's still super on fire, but all he would talk about is the Bible, right? 
And he was sitting with his wife one day and his wife was like, can we talk about something else besides the Bible just for a minute? And he was kind of like, <gasps> and, but I told him, I said, listen, she's not wrong. I think we fail to forget that God cares about not just the fact that we can quote parts of the Bible. God cares about you hanging out with your wife. That's a deeply spiritual thing when you're hanging out with your spouse. Even if you're talking about dumb stuff, right? Maybe you're talking about, you know, my house, it's like, you know, Alicia, look at this old car and she doesn't care. But that time with me, right? And we're looking at it. There's something spiritual about that. Something deeply spiritual about that time with your spouse. There's something spiritual about time with your kids. And I'm not just like praying for your kids, constantly holding them. There's something spiritual about their baseball game. There's something spiritual about you being engaged with them and encouraging them and having fun with them. There's something deeply spiritual about you kicking a soccer ball in the front yard with your daughter or your son. That's a very spiritual thing. God is in that mix. God is there with your friendships. God is there at your work. When you work hard and you please not just your earthly father, but you please your boss, that honors God. God's in that. God's in your school when, I'm not saying students, you need to make straight A's all the time. We don't tell our daughters that. We just say, do the best you can do and that honors God. God's in there when you do the best you can do. God's even in your leisure activities. God cares about your day. Why? Because he's deeply personal. Deeply personal God. We often think, well, God, I don't wanna bug you, but I had a bad day at work. No, 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 you're not bugging him. He wants to hear about your day. He wants to hear about stuff like that. Deeply personal, God. So here's where we really mess up, though. Listen, if we can all agree today, God is present. When I say present, like right now, at the baseball game, at the conversation at work, at school, he's there, he's with us, right, all the time. God is present. So the question isn't, is God there? The question is, are we there? Are we present? What do I mean? Listen, I said this about a month ago or so. If the devil cannot destroy you, if the devil cannot distort the truth around you, the devil will distract you, and he is winning right now. We are a distracted people. So my question is, what is distracting you? I know the obvious, right? We do this all the time. Your kids are growing up around you, but hey, at least everyone will think I'm a good mom on Instagram. You know, our husband's talking to that other woman because we never give him any attention. But man, I gotta make sure I got those followers on Facebook. We're so distracted and life is just passing us by. We do it with our jobs. We do it with our phones. We do it with just busy work. We're so distracted and we're not present, we're not alert. So what is distracting us? Is it a fear of the future? Listen, when it comes to politics, I have absolutely no dog in the fight. I do not care Amen. at all. Now, if you do care, I think you have a better use of your time. There are so many Christians who are afraid of the future and Christians should never be afraid of the future. The Bible tells us our future. I don't know if you guys know this or not. If you're a believer in God, you win. There may be hard times. Economies will collapse. There's no mention of the Western world in the book of Revelation, probably because we're irrelevant by that time. But we still win. 
Even if they cut our heads off in the street, we wake up on the streets of glory, we win. Christians have nothing to be afraid of. So how does that mean in our practical lives? Guys, turn Fox News off every once in a while. Turn CNN off every once in a while. I don't know if anyone watches MSNBC, but turn that off too, right? Because all they want to do is scare you. You know why? Because it keeps you glued to their station. You wouldn't believe what the president tweeted today. I just don't care. I just don't care. I'm not afraid of economies. I'm not afraid of Democrats. I'm not afraid of Republicans. I'm not afraid of communism. I'm not afraid of socialism. I'm not afraid of capitalism. Why? Because regardless of all those things, my king still sits on the throne. Fear is not a spirit that God has given you. It's a spirit that CNN gives you. It's a spirit that 99.7 gives you, but it's not a spirit that God gives you. Is that a distraction to you? If it is, I encourage you to turn it off. And if you want to find some peace, read the word of God. Read the word of God. Read a book, right? Read something encouraging. Surround yourself with good things. Are we distracted by materialism? The new iPhone has three cameras instead of two, right? And we'll step over some old lady, maybe honor to get it, right? Are we distracted by materialism? Absolutely we are. Man, if I have a phone for two years, my God, how can I live? I need 16 megapixels, not just 14. I'm gonna push over some kid to get in line first at Black Friday, get a TV that I'm only gonna throw away a year from now. Are we distracted by materialism? Heck yes, we are. Heck yes, we are. It has pulled some of you off what is truly important. Are we selfish with our time? Listen, for those of you that have kids, they're only gonna be kids once. For those of you that are married and you're selfish with your time, eventually, men, another man's gonna give your wife the attention she was looking for. Listen, are we selfish with our time? Do we pray? As I said earlier, we always have time to do what God wants us to do, but we may not always have the time to do what we wanna do. Jesus said, seek first the kingdom of God and everything else will be added to you. We need to make sure that we put God first. We need to make sure that we put family second. And then we'll get to ourselves eventually. Are we selfish with our time? Is it a distraction? Are we resting? Guys, are you quiet sometimes? We are such a noisy society. We cannot stand to be alone. We cannot stand to be quiet for any length of time. Watch if you see like two couples at a restaurant, right? They're on a date and they're looking at each other and the guy's looking at her and she's looking at him and they're talking. And then the girl goes to the bathroom. What's the first thing the other one does? Can't be quiet. We just can't be quiet. You know why the reason why more Christians haven't invited more Christians to church? Because we don't even like stop long enough to engage in a conversation. We're constantly busy. We're constantly moving. We're con Did you know in the Old Testament to break one of the Ten Commandments is taking a rest time, a Sabbath? In the Old Testament, if you broke that, it was punishable by death. It was such a big deal to God that we slowed down and rest, that it was part of the law that you would be executed if you didn't do it. God even rested. He didn't need to, but it said on the seventh day, he took a break to set the example for us that we need to rest. Jesus Christ had to get out in the woods every once in a while. Called a woman a snake one time because he couldn't get alone and be quiet. Look it up. 
It is important that we find quiet time. Do you know the reason why so many of us have never heard the voice of God? Because we never shut up. We never turn the TV off. We never turn the news off. We never turn the radio off. We never turn the iPod off. We never turn iPod, iPhone off, right? <laughs> Going back to 2004 there. <laughs> we never turn off all the distractions. And you know the Bible says, be still and just know that he's God. Some of you who are living in fear, living in constant distraction, sometimes you just need to be still and quiet. Don't say anything. Just be quiet. I was talking with a young lady last night. She said that she's just so busy. She's got a kid and she works and her husband's a doctor and they're just busy all the time. And she said the, a couple of weeks ago, she felt such a strong conviction. She went into one of the rooms of her house, shut the door, cut off all distractions and she just sat in the middle of the floor and she said God just started downloading stuff on her. Just pouring stuff onto her. She ended up on her face and she's just crying and she's listening and God's just telling her, giving her clarity and direction and where to go. I think God would do that for all of us if we would just make the time Amen. and be quiet and still. Guys, because we're so distracted, because we're not present, are we missing the beautiful things around us? I was talking with Kyle. He was in Disney World a couple of weeks ago. The happiest place on earth, right? It's not even a debate. It is, right? It's wonderful. <laughs> and Kyle said he was walking into the new Star Wars part, right? Not only are you at Disney World, you're in the Star Wars part of Disney World. And he said that all these people are just on their phones. You pay $200 to go into a park. It's the happiest place. Even the janitors are happy there, right? <laughs> and you're not even looking up not even enjoying the moment. You're missing it, missing all this stuff. Now, what about us when we walk out today? I don't know what the weather's gonna be like, but at night when you see the stars in the sky, you ever just walked out on a clear night and looked up? Man, God, most of those are bigger than our sun and you spoke them into existence like that. Wow, that's beautiful. You ever just taken a drive, turned off the radio and just driven out in the country, looked at the trees? Wow, this is beautiful. You ever stopped and just looked at your kids? Just looked at them. Wow, you're made in the image of God. That's beautiful. You ever caught your wife when she didn't know you were looking at her? And she may be even doing something mundane, washing the dishes, and you look at her and you're just like, I love that woman, right? God gave me this, this person. Are we missing it? We need to be present. We need to be aware. We need to be alert. Because here's the thing. God is doing stuff around you all the time. It's not that God isn't present. It's that when we're so distracted, we miss it. We miss it. C.S. Lewis wrote a book called Miracles. He said, God's doing miracles all the time, but we just don't notice them. We're too busy. God's trying to talk to us. The Bible even says that Jesus stands at the door of our heart knocking. But when we're too busy watching Netflix six hours a day, when we're too busy working until eight o'clock at night, when we're too busy doing all these other things, we don't hear the knock, so we don't respond. But the Bible says if we'll respond, he'll come in and he'll hang out with us, he'll eat with us. He wants to be involved in everything in our lives. God's present. Something for you to think about today. Are we present? Are we present? Would you bow your heads with me, please?
Like I said earlier, guys, if you feel guilty right now, join the club. I do too. I get busy. Sometimes after a 10-hour day, it's easier just to go home and veg out. I get it. I get it. I got two little girls and a wonderful wife. And sometimes I get distracted and I miss it. Sometimes I forget to pray. Sometimes I forget to read the word. Sometimes I forget to be silent. So you're not the only one in this room. I'd say the vast majority of us have fallen into this pit. The good news is, is we have a gracious heavenly father that loves us and will always take us back. If we will make time for him, he will always make time for us. The word says that if we step near or draw near to him, he draws near to us. He's waiting on us. If you're in this room and you're not a believer, maybe you got some questions, up here to my right, your left, Greg is at the front corner of the stage. He's our executive pastor. If you have any questions for Greg, please come up and ask Greg. You don't have to be embarrassed or ashamed or uncomfortable. There's men and women on both sides of the stage. If you need prayer for anything, please let these men and women pray for you. And then the rest of you, if you decide to take communion today, we have the body and blood of Jesus, the bread and the wine, wherever you see a lamp on a table, everyone is welcome to take that as long as you have asked Jesus to forgive you of your sins. Here's what I ask of you today. Even if you just take a minute, take a minute and just be still. Try not to think about anything. Don't say anything. Just be still. Then you can take those elements and see if God doesn't speak to you. Maybe sometime this week your homework can be find 30 minutes and be absolutely silent. Turn off the radio on your way to work and look around. Next time you're in a coffee shop, don't be on your phone. Just look at people. Pay attention. Take note of what God may be trying to do around you. Father, Lord, we love you. God, we thank you, Lord, that you're always present for us. Father, forgive me, Corey, that sometimes I'm distracted. God, forgive me, Lord. And if there's anyone else in this room who struggles with the same thing, God, Lord, show them grace as well. Lord, we love you. We thank you. Keep your hand on my brothers and sisters in this room. Lord, we love you and we thank you, God, and we pray blessings over everyone, Lord. And we pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. I love you guys so much. You're welcome to help yourself. Thank you.